Oh friends, would you uh, turn with me please to the words that we read there in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And reading again at verse 1. Revelation 3. Reading at verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who is the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Last week I came across a story about a woman named Margaret Erskine. She was married to a Reverend Henry Erskine in the 17th century. And not long after their marriage, Margaret became gravely ill and was eventually pronounced dead. Now Henry loved his wife and he mourned her deeply and so he decided to bury her wearing all her best clothes, all her finest jewellery and with a very valuable ring on her finger. The local carpenter in the village served as something of a funeral director. He would build the coffins, dig the graves and inter the deceased. And when he came to screw down the lid on Margaret's coffin, he noticed this ring on her finger and he thought that it would be a terrible waste to bury this finery. And so after Henry had buried his wife and left the scene, the carpenter stayed behind. He immediately dug up Mrs. Erskine, removed the coffin lid and proceeded to try and pry loose the ring on her finger, but it was stuck. So taking out his knife, he tried to amputate her finger. As the knife made its cut, Mrs. Erskine woke up. She had been in a deep coma, and the terrified carpenter ran for his life, leaving poor Mrs. Erskine to clamber out of the grave and make her way home. Margaret Erskine had the appearance of being dead, But she was alive. The church in Sardis had the appearance of being alive. But they were dead. This morning we're continuing our studies in seven dangers facing a healthy gospel church. And we're looking at the danger of resting on a reputation. The danger of resting on a reputation. We're going to look at these verses under three headings. The description, then the danger... And finally, the declaration. First, the description. Look at verse 1. Here, the risen Jesus provides a description of who he is. We can start by noting who the letter is addressed to at the beginning of verse 1. It's addressed to an angel. Now, throughout this series, we've said that that word angel doesn't simply refer to a heavenly being. It can also refer to a messenger, one who speaks on behalf of another. And that is the sense in which the word has been used in Revelation 3. This letter is addressed to a messenger, and it's addressed to the messenger or angel of the church in Sardis. It's addressed to a church leader and to the congregation whom he represents as a whole. And the congregation on this occasion is the church that's based in the city of Sardis. Sardis lay around 30 miles southeast of Thyatira that we looked at last week. It was one of the most ancient cities in Asia, having been established in about 1200 B.C., It was also one of the most impressive cities, but its splendor lay very much in the past. It was very much a city from a bygone age. We can also note who the letter is addressed from in the second half of verse 1. As we've studied these letters, we've said that each one has come from the risen and exalted Jesus, and here he describes himself as being the one who has the seven spirits of God. That is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The source of a church's life, the source of a church's vitality. 
Now, when Jesus speaks here about seven spirits, he's not saying that there are seven holy spirits. He is speaking rather about the sevenfold spirit. Seven in Jewish thought was the number of perfection, the number of completion. And here's Jesus and he's saying that he's the one who's got the Holy Spirit in all his power, in all his fullness. And as the one who has the Holy Spirit, he's the one who can dispense the Spirit to whomever he wills. He also describes himself as being the one who has the seven stars. In Revelation 1, we read that the seven stars represent the seven angels or seven messengers in each of the churches whom Jesus addresses in Revelation 2 and 3. And here Jesus reiterates the point that he's the one who has the leaders of a church in his hand. Jesus has sovereignty. Jesus has authority over all his people, including their ministers, including their elders, including their deacons. He has got full authority. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being given a reminder of who Jesus is. A reminder of who Jesus is. That's what we see here in Revelation 3. The risen Jesus reminds the church in Sardis that he's the one who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. He is reminding them that he's the one who is sovereign over each of his churches and that he dispenses the life-giving spirit to each and every one of them. That is his timely reminder to a church who, as we'll soon see, are simply resting on a reputation for being alive, but who really need to be revived. They need the Spirit to work. And that, friends, is such an important reminder for ourselves. The risen Jesus is the one who dispenses the life-giving Spirit to his people. Throughout the Gospel of John, he makes the repeated point that he is not going to leave his people as orphans. He is not going to leave them to their own devices. He is not going to leave them to their own resources. Rather, he says to them that he will send them the Spirit, he will send them the Comforter, he will send them the Helper as they live in the gap between his departure and his second coming. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives life to the people of God, gives vitality, gives vibrancy to the people of God. Listen to how Doug Kelly describes the work of the Holy Spirit in his commentary on Revelation. He writes, most of us Christians can at times become cold on the Lord. We lose much of our loving zeal for him. And to this moribund state, the Holy Spirit can come from Jesus, bringing fire from the altar of heaven, setting it aglow deep inside us, filling us with a new devotion, a new desire for purity, a new desire for zealous service. Possession of the Holy Spirit is the difference between a dead relationship with Jesus and a dynamic relationship with Jesus. If you've got the Spirit, you have a living relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Simple as that. And the question that I want to begin today asking, friends, is do you know this Jesus? Once again, I'm not asking, do you know about him? I'm asking, do you know him personally? Do you know the Jesus who who is sovereign over his people, sovereign over his church, has them in his hand? And do you know the Jesus who dispenses his life-giving spirit to 
his people. Do you know this Jesus? Friends, we are in this church today not to think about the memory of Jesus. We are in this church today to engage with the living Jesus. Do you know him? Then second, we have the danger. Look at verses 1 to 4. The risen Jesus now highlights the danger facing the church in Sardis. Verse 1, we hear the concern. The risen Jesus begins by telling the church in Sardis that he knows their works. He's the one who is the seven spirits and the seven stars. He's the one who knows everything that there is to know about each of his people and each of his churches. And he now puts the church in Sardis under the microscope of divine scrutiny and he says to them, I know your works. The risen Jesus continues by telling them that he knows that they have a reputation for being alive. The city of Sardis had a reputation for being a lively city, a vibrant city, a healthy city. And the church in Sardis had a reputation for being a healthy church, a vibrant church, a lively church. But the risen Jesus isn't finished and he expresses his concern that despite their reputation... The reality is that the church in Sardis is dead. Anyone who visited the city of Sardis was confronted with the fact that it was a relic. It was a shell and shadow of what it used to be and should have been. And anyone who visited the church of Sardis was confronted with the same. It was a relic. It was a shell and a shadow of what it used to be and should have been. It was a church that was lacking spiritual life. It was a church that was lacking spiritual vitality. It was a dead church that was filled with spiritually dead members who were listening to spiritually dead sermons that were delivered by spiritually dead preachers. They had a reputation, but that's all they had. Their reputation was far removed from the reality. They were dead. We can move, though, from the concern to the council. Look at verses 2 and 3. The risen Jesus isn't content to allow the church in Sardis to remain in this dead condition. And he proceeds to give them five commands. He commands them to wake up. They are spiritually drowsy. They are spiritually lethargic. They are in a spiritual stupor. And Jesus just says to them, come on, guys, wake up. Rouse yourselves. And he commands them to strengthen what remains and is about to die. There were some good works going on in Sardis, but Jesus says that he hasn't found their works complete or finished in the sight of his God. And he now counsels them to strengthen those works and build on those works. If if they've gone out of the habit of reading their Bibles, he says, get back to reading your Bible. If they've got out of the habit of prayer, he's saying, get back to praying. If they've got out the habit of going to the evening service or going to the prayer meeting, he's saying, time to get back to doing these basic things. He commands them to remember what they have heard and received. That's a reference to the gospel message, the message of salvation in Christ. And it seems that the church in Sardis have forgotten that gospel. And Jesus is saying to them, I want you to remember that gospel. I want you to refresh yourselves with that message of salvation, that message of life. He commands them also to keep what they heard and received. 
It's not enough to simply remember the gospel. They need to act on it. They need to allow the gospel to impact on all that they say, all that they do, all that they think. And finally, he commands him to repent. That word repent just means change your mind. Change your direction. Jesus is saying to the church in Sardis, I want you to do a 180 degree turn. You've been going in one direction. I want you to now go in the opposite direction. And after delivering these commands, Jesus presents a caution. Look at verse 3. He tells them that if they don't comply with his commands, he will come to them like a thief. And he tells them that he will come against them at an unexpected hour. If you go back to the history of Sardis, you see that in 546 BC, King Cyrus conquered that city. And then in 241 BC, it was conquered again by King Antiochus III. And on both these occasions, the city was conquered because they thought they were so impressive. They They thought they were impregnable. And they were conquered when they were least expecting it. It took them by surprise. And now Jesus is telling the church in Sardis that if they don't follow his counsel, he will come against them and conquer them. In the same way that the city had been conquered a few hundred years earlier. But we can move though from the concern to the commendation. Look at verse 4. The risen Jesus says that there is a faithful remnant in Sardis. He says he has a few names in the city. And he says that they haven't soiled, they haven't polluted, they haven't defiled their garments. Uh, Filthy garments is just a a picture, it's a graphic picture of those who've been stained, those who've been soiled by walking in a way contrary to God's word. You know what that's like. I know what that's like. We do something that's against God's word and we feel grubby. We feel dirty. Maybe some of you sitting in this building today, you feel a bit grubby. You feel a bit dirty because you've done something contrary to the word of God. Jesus is saying here that there are a few people in Sardis whose lives haven't been stained in this way. They haven't been soiled in this way. And the reason Jesus speaks about what will happen to them. Look at verse 4. He says that they are worthy. And he says that they will walk with him in white. After a Roman military victory, the victors would wear white as they celebrated. And here's Jesus, and he's saying that the faithful Christians in Sardis will wear white at his end time victory celebration. He's saying, guys, because you're walking worthy, because you're walking with me, because you're not allowing yourselves to be stained and soiled by the world, you are going to walk with me. You are going to participate in my final victory celebration. Now, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being confronted with the danger of resting on a reputation. The danger of resting on a reputation. That's what we see here in Revelation 2. Church in Sardis had a good reputation where everyone said that church is really alive. You know, if you visited Sardis, if you were coming from Thyatira or Ephesus or one of these other churches that we looked at and you found yourself in in Sardis and you said, where will I go to church? Everyone said, you've got to go to the church in Sardis. That's the best church. Sardis Free Church is the place to be. But the sad reality is that despite their reputation, they were dead. They were lacking in spiritual life. They were lacking in spiritual vitality. John Stott puts it like this. 
The church in Sardis was positively humming with activity. There is no shortage of money, no shortage of talent, no shortage of manpower. But outward appearances are deceptive. And this congregation was a spiritual graveyard. And they're now facing the very real prospect of Jesus coming against them in judgment. And your friends, that's a very important caution for ourselves. It is more than possible to have all the outward appearance of life and vitality, but to have no spiritual pulse. Having nothing more than a good reputation is a great danger facing every church. They might look spectacular on the outside. They might be well spoken about by many. And at the same time, they can be devoid of any spiritual life. But having nothing more than a good reputation isn't simply a danger facing every church. It's also a danger facing every professing Christian. There can be lively churches, vibrant churches, that are filled with Sardis-like, spiritually dead people. Richard Phillips tells the following story about a very difficult pastoral visit. Went to see a woman in his congregation. He had real concern about this woman. She was a long-time member, but things weren't really adding up in her life. And she asked her how she was doing. It's always a good way to begin. And she said, I'm ordinary. And Richard Phillips says, I pointed out that ordinariness is not among the fruit of the Spirit. I read Galatians 5 with her and pointed out that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Which of these do you see in yourself? I asked. She had to reply, well, I see none of them in myself. I pointed out that this indicated the possibility that she wasn't truly joined to Jesus Christ and began discussing her need to trust in him. She demanded that we change the subject. A a person can possess lots of church clothes and have lots of church friends and serve on lots of church committees and attend lots of church services and at the same time have no spiritual life in them. Kevin DeYoung writes, one of the most dangerous things in the whole world is to be spiritually dead in the church. If you're spiritually dead outside the church, perhaps you have at least enough self-awareness to know that you're not interested in this thing and you're not a Christian, but oh, it's dangerous when you've deceived yourself And to such people, Jesus says it's time to wake up. Maybe today, I don't know any of you perfectly. I don't know any of you fully. I don't even know Natalie perfectly or fully. Maybe today you can see that you have a reputation for being alive. But you know deep down you're spiritually dead. And maybe today's giving you an opportunity, friend, to to just wake up. And take action before it's too late and you find Jesus coming against you. This morning I want to ask each of us as individuals and as a congregation, do we simply have a reputation for being spiritually alive or are we really alive? Are we alive to God? Are we alive to Jesus? 
Or put it another way, is our Christianity just a matter of following religious rules, religious requirements, religious regulations, doing what's expected of us? You say to yourself, well, I better go to church because my husband will be on my case, my wife will be on my case, or even worse, Hugh and Chris will be on my case. Or is your Christianity a living relationship with a living Jesus, a living Lord, a living Savior? Friends, is your Christianity alive? Third and finally, we have the declaration. Look at verses 5 and 6. The risen Jesus now declares what will happen to those who act on his words. Verse 5, we hear the encouragement. The risen Jesus speaks about the one who conquers and keeps his word to the end. That language of conquering or overcoming describes a living and active faith that perseveres to the end. On this occasion, it describes a person who's spiritually alive, spiritually awake, and refuses to simply rest on a reputation for being alive, a reputation for being awake. And here the risen Jesus says that the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. We've already said that that's a reference to participation in Jesus' final victory. And Jesus promises that that will be true of all those who overcome. He goes on to say that those who are faithful to the end, those who conquer, he will never blot their names out of the book of life. That book of life is mentioned throughout the Old Testament. It's mentioned throughout the New Testament. It's a book that declares all those who belong to the people of God will have life in his new creation. And Jesus promises that all those who conquer, all those who overcome, all those who persevere to the end will never have their names blotted out of this book. They will never have their names erased from this book. They will never have their names purged from this book. And finally, the risen Jesus tells the church in Sardis that he will confess their names before his Father in heaven. In Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 12, Jesus speaks about acknowledging those who acknowledge him. And here Jesus promises that all those who overcome will be publicly acknowledged by him before his Father and before his angels at the final judgment. It's a wonderful encouragement. But we can move from the encouragement to the exhortation. Look at verse 6. Over the last few weeks we've said that Throughout the Gospels, we hear Jesus issuing this call, let the one who is yours to hear, listen. It functions as an exhortation to a person to open their mind and open their heart to what Jesus is saying and to act on it, put it into practice. And here there is in Jesus says, he who is in ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He is exhorting the church in Sardis to open their minds And open their hearts to what he's saying and to act on it. Put it into practice. Well, friends, as we consider these verses, we're being encouraged to listen to and act on what Jesus is saying. An encouragement to listen to and act on what Jesus is saying. That's what we see here in Revelation 3. The risen Jesus has expressed his concern over the church in Sardis because they've got a reputation for being alive. But the reality is they're spiritually dead. He has counseled them to wake up, to strengthen what remains, to remember and keep the gospel, and to repent. And he now exhorts them to listen to and act on what he's saying, and he encourages them with the promises that if they listen to and act on what he's saying, he will clothe them in white, 
He will never blot their names from the book of life. And he will confess them before his father and his angels. And friends, that is such an encouragement to ourselves. Some of you might be familiar with the comedy Keeping Up Appearances. It's about Hyacinth Bouquet. And she's got these three sisters and this brother-in-law that she is absolutely embarrassed by. And the whole premise of the comedy is really how she does everything that she can not to be seen in public with them. Not to have to acknowledge them around others. Those who are in maybe higher society than she and her, her siblings are. But you know, friends, there is no hesitation when it comes to Jesus acknowledging his people. In Hebrews 2, we read that he is not ashamed to call his people my brothers. He recognizes that they are his. And he will take pleasure in declaring them to be his at the final judgment. Psalm Storms writes, Envision the scene. You're standing in the blazing presence of the immeasurable and unfathomable God, an all-consuming fire, the God of infinite and unending glory, the God of unsearchable and incomparable righteousness, small, frail, weak as you are, Jesus takes you by the hand, leads you before his Father, leads you beneath the penetrating gaze of the angels, and then he proudly and he joyfully and he confidently declares, Father, Psalm is mine. I am his. He's clothed in white. I've paid his debt. I've suffered his penalty. He is clean. He is pure. He is in me and I am in him. Psalm is righteous. Friends, that is a promise that is given to all those who are spiritually alive. And not just resting on a reputation for being alive. That is a promise that is given to all those who are awake. All those who are strengthening what remains. All those who are remembering and keeping the gospel. All those who are repenting and changing direction when Jesus tells them to change direction. This morning the risen Jesus is exhorting us as individuals. He is exhorting us as a congregation not to be resting on a reputation when it comes to living for him. Instead, he is encouraging us to think of the glorious reward that awaits all those who listen to and act on what he says. And I want to close by asking you the question, friend. Are you listening? Are you listening? Are you listening to Jesus? As he says to you today, don't rest on a reputation for being alive. Make sure you are alive. As he exhorts you and as he encourages you with promises of the future, friend, are you listening? Let's pray.